Listener Production. The Mandela Effect. Science or conspiracy? I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto, and this is The Science Briefing. The Mandela Effect is the idea that you have a memory of an event or a memory of how something looks, but in reality, those memories are actually false. It also refers to potentially millions of other people having those exact same false memories as you. We don't know why this happens. And so far, research has mostly looked at the Mandela effect as an example of how conspiracy theories can spread online. But today, I ask Cosmos Magazine journalist Emma Perfetto, can science explain the Mandela effect? So Emma, I've heard of the Mandela effect before. However, it's not something I'd necessarily dump in the science basket. I don't know that the Mandela effect itself is like legit science, but there is some science that's sort of coming out of the Mandela effect being a thing. If you're not across the Mandela effect, it's a form of what's called collective misremembering. It first started becoming a thing in 2010 uh, when people were sharing online that they believed that Nelson Mandela was dead, when in fact, at the time, uh, he wasn't. Nope. <laughs> this is why it's called the Mandela effect, by the way it was widely and falsely believed that he had died in prison (laughs) during the 1980s when in reality he was freed from prison in 1990 and then later passed away in 2013. Yeah, it was all a bit weird, Emma, but I'm still not, like, I'm not super convinced how sciencey this is. To me, this just sounds a bit like people believing stuff they read on the internet and they shouldn't. That's completely fair. I mean, the woman who coined the term the Mandela effect, is a paranormal consultant as well. Are you kidding? Oh, my God. <laughs> and so she explains the Mandela effect using these really pseudoscientific theories through, you know, a many worlds or multiverse theory, something out of Marvel, I guess. This is amazing. <laughs> Which, no, you know, a lot of that is not based on science at all. Following this Other examples of collective misremembering also started popping up over the internet. You know that quote from Snow White from like the evil queen where she's like, mirror, mirror on the wall, when actually she says magic mirror on the wall? Oh, that's right. Yeah. I thought that it was, you know, mirror, mirror on the wall. All of that aside, one really interesting and actually scientific thing has come out of the Mandela Effect. It's actually spawned some psychology research. These scientific researchers are seeking to uncover exactly why people develop these false memories and how other people can have the same fake memories as us. It's really weird. So let's unpack some of the research that's come out of the Mandela effect. Emma, where do we even start here? This comes from two researchers, Dipasri Paris from Dartmouth College and Wilma Bainbridge from the University of Chicago. One part of their research explored what they termed as the visual Mandela effect. What this means is that people misremember characters or logos from popular culture. Pikachu from Pokemon, Curious George, or even, you know, Wally from Where's Wally. They did an experiment and they showed 100 adults a range of different images. This included images of 22 different characters, 16 brand logos, and two different symbols, so 40 images in total. 
And then each of those images had two altered images of it shown to the participants. That sounds like a lot of images to me, Emma. I think I get confused <laughs> by that many images. Yeah, it's a little bit to keep track of. If we go back to Curious George, he normally is depicted without a tail, despite being a monkey, which is interesting. Oh, weird. But the doctored images that they showed the participants, he had a thin tail in one and then like this bushy tail in another. Right. So people involved were shown these three images of Curious George and then they had to pick out the correct one, the original one that's sort of true to the canon of Curious George. And so how did they go? Because I reckon if I wasn't super familiar with Curious George, I would just do the long monkey tail one. Like were they able to identify the real Curious George? I don't know about George specifically, but the overall results from the experiment showed that seven out of the 40 images showed a sort of shared and very specific false memory experience in those participants, which is absolutely insane that they found these, you know, specific images that were consistently misremembered across all of the participants in the study. Yeah, that is really weird that everyone would consistently get the same thing wrong. Yeah. That's weird. In the second experiment, they used these eye tracking methods, sensor technologies that follow, you know, what a person is looking at on a screen in real time. And so they did this to see if there were going to be any differences in the way that the participants looked at the images that they would consistently get correct versus ones that they would misremember. But this wasn't really helpful because they didn't actually find that there was any difference in the attention of the participants as they looked at the images. There wasn't any discernible, you know, way that, you know, maybe top down or side to side or whatever. So that didn't help. In the third experiment, they scraped the top 100 Google image results for those seven images that were consistently misremembered. And what they were trying to see was maybe the participants had been exposed to incorrect or non-canonical versions of those images in the past just through their journeys on the internet. Sure, that makes sense. But they didn't really find any of that at all either. (laughs) So they couldn't come up with an answer as to whether it was prior exposure to non-canonical images that had caused these false memories or if it was just the people's brains making up the false memories themselves. This is all very disappointing science, (laughs) Emma. I mean, you've got to test it. You've got to, you've got to rule it out. We've got to be rigorous. But wait, things got a bit more promising in their fourth experiment. So here the participants weren't looking at images. Instead, they were drawing them themselves. The idea here is that recall is a much more active thing. It involves a lot more effort than just off the bat recognizing something. Yeah. You're bringing up a memory of a past event and then you're translating that and drawing that out on paper in this case. So some participants in the experiment were shown the correct images before they were asked to draw them. And then some who had indicated that they were already familiar with the images weren't showing them. So they were like recalling from however long back they'd first seen them. In the end, in the former group with the people who were just shown the images, one out of five of them showed errors in their image that they'd drawn out that were sort of characteristic of the Mandela effect. And then in the group who had not been shown the images and were just going off of their own memories, about half showed similar errors. Okay, so half of the people who'd seen this image ages ago messed up, but 
the people who just seen it recently, it was one in five. Like what kind of pictures were these? How hard were these to draw? Yeah. So for example, in this experiment, people were drawing the Monopoly man, iconic image, a very common Mandela effect. People draw him with a monocle, like wearing a monocle. Oh. When in reality, he doesn't wear one. He's never worn one. Does he have glasses? He has nothing. He's got perfect vision. He has 20-20 perfect vision. Yeah, guys, no monocle. Okay, so apart from showing us that people remember the Monopoly man with a monocle, which is incorrect for everyone playing at home, what are the researchers saying this shows us exactly? The researchers say that because these errors happened during both short-term recall and long-term recall, it sort of suggests that there is something intrinsic to these images that leads people to make the same sorts of errors when remembering them. But they also say that they're still a way off from figuring out, you know, what this means and why some images are just intrinsically really memorable and people don't make those mistakes when recalling them. However, there is one thing we know, and it's something that the researchers noted. When you view an image, it's these high-level visual and memory areas in your brain that have something to do with how memorable an image is. So what these researchers are saying is that we know there's some part of our brain that will perceive images as more memorable, but we still don't know exactly why our brain does this or exactly what is memorable about these images. Exactly. Okay. So that sounds really disappointing, but it just means (laughs) that we are, we're right at the start of our understanding of this phenomenon. But in the meantime, the researchers have come up with something else to help them study this. It's a tool that can help them to determine, you know, how likely it is that someone's going to remember a certain image correctly. Emma, I love how seriously the researchers are taking this, that they've developed a tool. Can you please tell us about this tool? So they've created this web tool and it's called ResMem and it uses deep learning artificial intelligence. What you can do is upload an image and it'll tell you the percent chance that someone will remember that image. Okay. But the researchers also want to get to the core here with the ResMem tool. They want to create another one that can predict your chance of making a false memory of an image. How would this tool work? I wish I could tell you. They're not (laughs) totally sure yet. Okay. (laughs) So the idea is like still very much in the early stages because they're just getting on with the ResMem tool. But they do have an end goal for this research, and that's to make a neural network tool available to any scientist who wants to study what makes something memorable. This could bleed into other areas of research, not just, you know, looking at the Mandela effect specifically. For example, education. It would be amazing to make images in textbooks or, you know, infographics more memorable for students. Better infographics could help students to remember things when they're in a test or in exams, you know, something like that. But also in clinical practice, creating memorable environments for people with dementia or other forms of of memory loss, you know, making things as easy as possible for them to remember where they are or where to go, etc. So we've spent a whole episode talking about the Mandela effect, only to get to the end with 
really no real answers about what's going on here at all, but that doesn't mean that it's not worth talking about. And sometimes science is at the very early stages of trying to come up with answers. And that's okay. We're not always going to get the answers we want straight away, even if we really want to know why the Mandela effect works the way it does. Totally. Whether or not we have, you know, a full scientific explanation for what's going on here with the Mandela effect, I think it's pretty amazing to think about how our brains can build up these incredibly vivid memories of images that don't look like that at all. Hopefully, one day we will finally understand those inherent properties of images that make them more or less memorable. Emma Perfetto is a science journalist for Cosmos magazine. This episode was based on an article by Denise Cullen called Probing the Mandela Effect. You can catch that article in the next edition of Cosmos magazine. Find it in issue number 99. The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe. Mixing by Dave Stein. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. Catch you next time. <laughs>